Howdy, Sam Brief back with you for another episode of the Mental Game Podcast. Hope you had a fantastic Thanksgiving. It looked a lot different this year, I'm sure. Maybe not a big gathering. You know, I'm used to a Thanksgiving with 25 people all huddled around the turkey. This year, it looked a lot different. Now, I was actually on the phone with my grandpa a few weeks before Thanksgiving, and we were kind of previewing what Thanksgiving would be like. And he said, oh, yeah, I, I love Thanksgiving, but it's going to be a modified turkey. And I was like, modified turkey? That feels like some genetically mutated crap. Like, I'm thinking a turkey with seven legs or something. And then he clarified that he meant more of a modified Thanksgiving with a, hopefully, relatively normal turkey. Although I guess nowadays they use a lot of GMOs. So technically it is a modified turkey. Anyway, you came here not for turkey talk, but for mental game talk. And I'm really fired up about today's guest. It's Hannah Huseman, who's the mental skills coach for the Philadelphia Phillies. And she jumped out to me right away because she's extremely active on social media. She's the longtime host of what she calls Mental Sweat Monday on her Instagram page, where she shares a one-minute video that's inspiring and then some. She's awesome. She knows not only how to work one-on-one with players, which is what she does in her day job with the Phillies, but also how to talk to the masses, to us, her followers on social media, on Twitter, on Instagram, and you can check her out there, Hannah Huseman. But you came here to listen to her here on episode 12 of the Mental Game Podcast. So without further ado, here's Hannah Huseman. Hannah Huseman joins me on episode 12 of the Mental Game Podcast from Chattanooga, Tennessee, which is a beautiful city and is also really fun to say. So from Chattanooga, how's it going, Hannah? (laughs) Hey, Sam, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on today. Yeah, I'm honored to have you on. And before we really dive in, I first want to congratulate you. I saw a couple weeks ago you were named number two on LinkedIn's list of the top voices in sports. I know. How crazy is that? It was so awesome and so unexpected. And I still like, I'm still not over it, but it's, it's so funny because I think the only way that happens is by people sharing and liking and commenting. And so I really couldn't have done that without everybody. So it's, it's such a cool honor for sure. (laughs) Did you even know you were being considered for that? Did you know it was a thing? I did not know it was a thing until about two weeks prior. And I got a message from um, a news editor from LinkedIn and they're like, Hey, we're considering you. Like, can you just send us some information about you? And I was like, Oh, cool. You know, didn't really think anything of it and sent in, I answered a couple questions that they had. And then next thing you know, I got a package on my front door and I was on this list. So it was really cool. Yeah, really, really cool. Top voices in sports. That is that is awesome and certainly well-deserved. I want to dive into a bit about you and how you got into this whole mess. Let's start with your role with uh, the Phillies organization. You are the mental skills coach for the Phillies. You work with the major league team and all the minor league affiliates. Could you give me a little background about what being a mental skills coach means? Yeah. So the best way I describe um, a mental skills coach is we're just like any other coach, right? Like you have your hitting coaches, you have your pitting co- pitching coaches, defense, you know, hit um, infield, outfield, catching everything. And we are the same thing. 
or another coach, but instead of focusing on all of the physical aspects of your game, we're solely focusing on the mental aspects of your game and figuring out how all of the mental aspects of your game are impacting the physical aspects of your game. So we work on anything from confidence to composure to concentration, motivation, enjoyment, resiliency, all of those things that we all want to be um, and that directly affect our physical performance. So that's what we do. And we work you know, mainly one-on-one and individualizing all of the plans and preparations for the guys. But we also do a lot of group work too. And we work with both players and staff. So we're pretty busy, but that's what we do. Is it sort of up to the players how much they tap into you as a resource? Yeah, I think, I think majority of it is, um, but especially in the minor leagues, you know, we are, we're trying to create this culture where this is a thing that you do just to get better. Just like you go talk to your hitting coaches and your pitching coaches, like you go talk to your mental skills coach to make sure, you know, your mind's working for you and not against you. So to some extent, it's, it's up to them, you know, how much you buy into it, you know, you can't really force anything on them. Um, but in the minor leagues, we do have like a pretty regimented system of where we're, we're making touches and we're meeting with guys at least once a month just to kind of instill like this is how this works. You know, it's a proactive approach. You don't just come talk to mental skills coaches when things are going awry. You know, you really you really want this to be a tool and to be equipped for in case you face anything, you know, when you face failure, when you face um, really anxious feelings on the field because you're going to right in the sport of baseball. And so it's like what is we could be prepared for those moments before they even happened. And, and that that's kind of our, our selling point for them. So. So if I'm a third baseman on the Phillies or in one of their minor league affiliates and there's something wrong with my swing, I'm going to go to my hitting coach and work hard in the cage and batting practice on mm-hmm. tinkering with my swing. But if I come to the ballpark every day mm-hmm. for a week and I'm just feeling so on edge. I can't focus on the game. Maybe there's stuff hap- happening at home. And it's sort of like the separation of church and state. I can't separate personal life from just getting my job done on the field. That's when I tap into you. Yeah, that's that's definitely one way um, mm-hmm. to tap in is when, when we're just not feeling it or or even the opposite, when we're doing really, really well and things are working and we want to figure out like, do we really know why things are working? Do we know why things are going well? And so it's, we help them become better self-evaluators. We help them create better self-awareness. You know, why are things going well or why are things going poorly? Is it something mechanics? Is it something to do with your mechanics or is it something mental? Um, and it's funny because if you really break it down, like it might, it might be a small mechanical adjustment, but a lot of times it's just how we're approaching something or how we're viewing something or how we're preparing for something. So it, it ends up, it ends up being a mental thing a whole lot more often than I think we think it actually is. Cause you know, it's just human nature to go straight to like, okay, I need to make a physical adjustment when reality is like, maybe it's a mental adjustment. And so it's our job to make sure we're checking in regularly and, and almost holding them accountable on the mental side of their game too, because it's obviously a whole lot harder to see what's going wrong mentally than if something was going wrong physically. And so, especially when everything's going right physically, but we're still not achieving what we want to achieve, or we're not feeling good about something that we're doing, like chances are it's something going on mentally. So that does to help figure that out. And it can be such a minor change, right? I I was reading a newsletter the other day that had this analogy that just blew my mind. And they were talking about, think of a plane crossing the Atlantic Ocean. Let's say we're going from London to New York and the plane has a flight path. Mm -hmm. If the pilot moves the 
I don't steering wheel. I don't know. What do you call it <laughs> on a plane? Let, well, let's call it the steering wheel. If the yeah. pilot moves the steering wheel like a quarter inch to the right, you're going to end up in the North Pole. Like that yeah. tiny yeah. little change to the flight path yeah. will move your destination from LaGuardia Airport to the North Pole. <laughs> Maybe some people would rather be in the North Pole than LaGuardia yeah. Airport, but that's a different story. Anyway, I I sort of connected that to sports and and just just mental health and life in general in that sometimes these tiny little changes we make add up over time over the course of a week, course of a year and they make a huge difference and I'm sure it sounds like you've found that in your time in this field. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And again, it's it's totally up to you and how you decide to use this. And and mental skills is something that's um, it. You can introduce it. It's like walking a horse and and taking it to water, but you can't make them drink it, right? It's like I can tell you all of the things of why this can help you and how this can be advantageous to your game and your performance. But you have to buy into it, right? If I'm like forcing mental skills on somebody, it could actually have the opposite effect. And so it's almost like you have to have this open-minded athlete and come come talk to you and really be willing and open to find anything and everything to gain the edge over their opponent, right? Even if it is something so small or how you're messaging yourself or how you reset or how can I bounce back from failure that much quicker, right? A, a split second faster than my opponent because, you know, the higher you go up in, in competition, so, right, you have high school, college, then you have professional minor leagues, then you have the pros. It's like, the higher you get, the closer the competition gets, right? The higher you go, the better everybody really is. So you really are constantly trying to figure out what is the smallest difference here and there? How can I gain this edge here and there? And I think a, a huge piece is gaining the middle edge, like making sure, you know, everybody's good physically, but can you be good physically when it counts? And that's when the middle part it, it takes place and takes precedence. I want to focus on the major leaguers that you work with in the Phillies organization. And I'm, I'm not going to ask you to share names. I, I'm sure you don't want to and can't share names, but sort of as a generality, you know, so many fans, especially young fans, look at these athletes as idols, right? Who are just perfect, flawless in every way and probably just assume that everything's good uh, between the ears. But you in working closely with their mental skills, know that that is very much not true, right? So as a general rule, could you sort of describe the difference between working with a major league all-star who's paid $100 million and a single-A infielder who's scrapping just to stay on the team? Yeah, um, I love this question just because I think, you know, people expect it to just be a totally different answer. And the reality of it is it's very similar answers. And it's just, it's like, we all have different kinds of struggles, but we all still struggle, right? Maybe, maybe the guy who's getting paid a lot now, all of a sudden is struggling with, okay, now I'm getting paid this amount of money. So now I have to perform because they're counting on me. Like that they believe in me. They, so now all of a sudden there's this added stress or pressure that they've never experienced before. Right. And maybe the guy in high A or low A is saying, okay, now I got to do this. I, it's, it's similar pressure, but just to make it to the next level, to get to the next level. So it's, it, it's almost like the experiences change and the outcomes change, but the stressors are still there. And like, yes, you have more experience and yes, you, you know, kind of gone through it um, a little bit longer um, or, or more, um, you know, you've faced 
better players and you are like getting a little bit more experience, but you're still faced with confidence issues. You're still faced with self-doubt. You're still faced with the same negative self-talk creeping in just as if you were in the minor leagues. And, and now it's, it's, it's all, it's still trying to find a way to get better. It's still trying to find a way to be better than your opponent. It's, it's still trying to find the edge when you think you found all the edges, right? And you think you know yourself, but now it's like, do I really know myself? And still trying to find the things that can separate them from everybody else. So I think that's really interesting just because you think like, once you're a big leaguer, like you're good, you're fine. You've got it all figured out. And that's not the case. You know, you get there and, and now maybe it's even more stress or pressure, or now they get there. And now, you know, the goal is always to get to the big leagues. And now it's how do we stay in the big leagues or, or, you know, what's the next step. And it's not just getting there that you realize it's, it's actually staying and it's arguably maybe harder to stay than it is to get there. And so it's, it's funny just seeing it. It's all typically the same things, but just with different things that are creating that stress or that pressure or that tension or that anxiety or, you know, whatever it is that they're experiencing, it's just coming from different shapes and ways and, and, you know, ma- you know, the older you get, maybe the calmer you get, but maybe not, you know, like, it's like, some guys are really calm when they're older and some guys aren't like, some guys are really confident when they get older, some guys aren't. And so it's, it's not really just this broad, here's, here's what it's like to be a big leaguer. It's, you know, everybody experiences things differently. And all you can hope for is that your experience through the minor leagues kind of equips you for those moments in the big leagues, right? Which is why it's so important that we're working with minor league players so that they don't just get to the big leagues and all of a sudden not know how to handle stress or pressure or the crowd or loud noises or anything like that. Like they're already well-equipped. And even though if they haven't been in similar, in, in, in exact same situations and scenarios, it's close. And they have different tools that they can try to use. And a lot of it's trial and error and figuring out what works and what doesn't. And luckily they have plenty of attempts and plenty of games to, to figure that out along their career. So it's, it's, that's a good question though. In the minor leagues, there's more baseball pressure, right? In terms of, you know, you've got to make it from single A to double A and you're, and you're kind of hanging on by a thread sometimes from a baseball perspective. But my understanding is that then when you reach the majors, there's a whole new bucket of stressors because you're older, you're more likely to be married, to have kids. You're more likely to have a multi-million dollar contract and mm-hmm. agents and people you have to manage sponsorships playing in front of big crowds, all this crap then mm-hmm. gets muddled up. And then suddenly you have to go on this field and perform at a very specific task. It, it's a huge mental challenge and it's no surprise mm-hmm. to see more and more teams have people like you working with them. Because my understanding is that 50 years ago, it was the exception to the rule. And now it's more the rule. Yeah. I'd say even probably 20, 30 years ago, um, it was, it was an anomaly, you know, and it's, it's, it's funny, even in probably the last, I was talking to somebody and probably in the last five to 10 years is when it's like, okay, we really need to make hires. We really need to have this equipment. I think baseball's probably leading professional sports um, just because it is such a mental game. And there are like, there, there's so much time to actually be working on it from both an individual and a team aspect. Um, but even when I graduated five years ago and applied for an internship, there was one internship available when I applied. And now like almost every year, like at least half the teams have an internship available, maybe multiple internships available, right? For English speaking and Spanish speaking and bilingual and all that. And so it's, it's growing every single year. So it, it's, it's really cool, but you're right. It was like, it's funny. You talk to guys who have been in baseball, you know, longer than we've been alive, right. Who are coaches on staff. And like, we, we sit down and, you know, whether they're into it or not, we start talking about it and and they did mental skills, you know, when they played back in the day, 
They just didn't call it mental skills and they didn't necessarily know how to train it, right? They would just like yell at each other to motivate each other or like try to lift themselves up with confidence or they would like actually practice imagery and see themselves like being successful and hitting the ball, but they didn't really know what they were doing, right? They, they knew what they were doing. They didn't know how to do it and they didn't really know why and the purpose behind it. So it's really cool to talk to them, especially the ones who are like a little disgruntled about mental skills. I'm like, so you did it. And they're like, well, yeah, I guess. And I'm like, now we have people to like help you coach that and get even better at that and, and all that. So it's, it's really cool. Cause it, it, like you said, it's been around for forever, but not like with the title and with the power and with the actual training that's out there now. You mentioned the old guys. I had Butch <laughs> Hobson on a couple of weeks ago on the podcast who played for the Red Sox in the seventies and also managed them in the nineties. And they actually Amazing. had a psychologist who they worked with. And, okay. you know, talking to an older baseball player, you almost assume they're going to be disgruntled. <laughs> you just got to go out and play. You can't yeah. think too much. But Butch, it was surprisingly really in touch with it. He said, yeah, with the Red Sox, we had a guy we worked with and I was super in touch with the mental side of it. Um, and even as a young player, that was a big part of his development. So that, that was fascinating it. for me to, to get yeah. a window into the 70s. You know, this is sort of a side note, but I'm curious, Hannah, when so much of your job is based around other people's mental skills and mental health, what do you do about your own mental health and how do you function that into the equation? I love this question. Um, so it's funny because right in my job, uh, it's constant conversation. It's constant conversing. It's constant listening and like really being on, you know, one of the things we preach a lot in mental skills is like being in the present moment, right? Because when you're in the present moment, you are listening more, you're more aware, you are just better at whatever you're doing, regardless of what it is. If you're actually in the moment, right? If you're in this moment recording this podcast, you're going to be better at it. If you're too busy worried about what's going to happen, what you're doing later in the afternoon, or that you woke up late or whatever, right? You're not going to be here and now, and you're not going to do as good of a job. And so that that's true to what I do. And so I'm so on all the time, like, and trying to be in the present moment and listening and aware that when I'm done with the day and I'm mentally exhausted and maybe even physically exhausted just from like mentally being on it all day, the best thing I do for myself is shut off because my brain never shuts off. Um, sometimes I'm watching um, videos or reading a book or something like that. And it's never like easy to read a book or to just watch a movie because I feel like it could be some kind of a sports psychology lesson all the time, like constantly. And so um, the best solution for me is literally to just shut it off, shut it down, um, try to be quiet, try to turn my brain off as much as I can, turn my phone off. I can even read a book like some, you know, it's just like get away from thinking and just shut it down. So I, I do a lot of mindfulness practice just to kind of check in with myself. Um, but it's, it's quiet and alone time. Um, that is my strongest and most necessity um when it comes to mental skills and taking care of me for sure you just mentioned watching tv watching movies constantly being inundated with messages that can help your sports psychology practice yeah your mental sweat monday this week was about <laughs> the masters and you opened by <laughs> saying hey i was watching the masters and i yeah. i couldn't help but notice x y and z Exactly. For those who are listening who don't follow you and don't know about Mental Sweat Monday, could you sort of summarize the lesson that you learned from the Masters? Because I thought it was fascinating about just controlling the controllables. 
Yeah, so I exactly like that, right? Like that's a perfect example because I literally can't even watch. Like I, I was laughing with somebody the other day talking about um, even just watching Harry Potter. Like I'm like, wow, this is really resilient. Like I could probably use this in a talk. Like you know, like it's like it's so hard for me, which is good. It's 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 why I like am, am creative and and have all these ideas, but it also can be debilitating and and like I need to just turn it off. And so, but yeah, I love the masters, um, in Dustin Johnson's, um, post-game interview, he just said things like, you know, I try not to look at the scoreboard. Um, I didn't let one bad shot bother me. Um, I was nervous all day and it was a lot of fun. And like, uh, and he said a couple other things, but those, I was literally watching kind of waiting for him to say the intangible things. And it was like, I don't think people realize that even the best of the best get nervous. Like, and he was nervous all day. And then he was like, but it was so fun. And I talk, I, I try to talk about enjoyment and fun as much as I possibly can, (laughs) because just like being in the present moment, having fun and enjoying what you're doing, you're going to be better at it. Right. (coughs) Excuse me. If you enjoy what you do, you're going to be better at it. And so, um, the theme was totally like, you know, there was so much outside of their control with the masters, right. It got postponed. The wind was crazy that day. Like, it was like, what we're playing in November. Like, what are we even doing? You know? And it was like, you can't do anything about all of the things that you can't control. And and if you really look back in your life and in your job, and you think about what stresses you out the most, most of the time, it's the things that are outside of our control, right? It's a pandemic. It's an election. It's, you know, all of these things where it's like so far out of our control. And so I'm constantly coming back to, you know, the, the question, the four word question, like, what can I control? What can I control in every situation, in every aspect of life? What can I control about what's going on right now? And then give my time, give my energy, give my effort into whatever that is. Because at least I know I'm putting myself towards something that I can actually do something about. Whereas like I can give my time, energy and effort to things that I can't do anything about. And then I'm freaking exhausted and I'm deflated because I can't change it, whatever it is. So now I'm like pushing and stressing over something that there's really nothing I can do about it. And so it's like, it never gets better. That feeling never goes away. So it's really just like taking it in for what it actually is and figuring out what I can control in that situation. And that's going to set me up for my best chance of success and hopefully give me a little bit of peace in this like craziness of the world right now. You know, it's like, let's control what we can do about it. And that's literally all we can do. But when you do that, you feel like you're at least doing something. And if you're like me, you feel like you always need to be doing something. And, and, and getting better at something. And, and that's how you do it. And we were gabbing offline before we started the podcast about how you and I are similar in that when the world is a mess around us, we like to just be as meticulous as possible <laughs> and control all the little things. For example, the bookshelf I'm looking at over your right shoulder, the books are beautifully organized like a rainbow. And I noticed that right away. And, you know, there's the pandemic, all this sort of hellstorm around you. And you're taking the time to control that your bookshelf is going to look damn good. And it does. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's like it, even something so little, right? So little, like cleaning out your car, making your bed in the morning, making sure your phone's organized, reading your emails, right? Doing the little things so that like even your desktop computer screen. Okay. Like I've seen some crazy desktop. When you open up your computer on a hectic day and it's organized, it's like a sigh of relief. It's like, you can take a deep breath. You can breathe instead of opening it up. And there's 400 files on your desktop and you're like, holy Ah. shit, I don't even know where to start, you know? And so it's like, it's so true. Like do the little things that make your life better, right? Like 
I don't know, even something as small as opening up your blinds in your house or your apartment in the morning. So when you get home, the sun is beaming in like, oh my God, you get home and it's bright and, and airy instead of like dark and secluded or whatever it is. Like those little things end up adding up. And, and again, especially in the world where there's so much going on right now and all of it is outside of our control. Like freaking do the things you can control and do them well. And you'll like, you, you'll just feel better. You'll do better. You'll be more productive. Um, and you'll just see things kind of, kind of slow down a little bit, which is, I think what we all need in a world that's constantly rushing. Then an organized desktop goes a yeah. long way. I'm right? going to say this because I hope it <laughs> saves someone at home because that's also a stress for me. Someone told me a while back, take everything in your desktop and put it in a folder called desktop stuff. And that's what I have. So it's still a mess. But when I open my laptop, I can't see it because it's in there a folder go. called desktop <laughs> stuff. So that's hopefully hilarious. that saves someone out there. <laughs> <laughs> you hilarious. know, the second part of, of your mental sweat Monday this week is, is what got me going even more than controlling the controllables. Cause that's something I think about a lot too. And I think the message of controlling what you can control is important, but it's out there a lot. The second part was think consciously about what you can enjoy. And mm -hmm. you're playing golf, right? This is back to the masters. Dustin Johnson, hey man, I know there's a pandemic. I know it's crazy. You're playing golf. You love golf. You get to do it on this big stage. And for anyone, you know, I do uh, broadcasting. Let's say I'm calling a game and I, there might be a lot happening. I might be stressed about some things, but it's like, hey, man, you get to go call the game right now. Like, go enjoy it. That just makes life so much better. So so what, what was the inspiration for that second part of your message this week? Yeah, you know, I, I mean, seriously, like, I've always been very passionate. Like, from a very young age, I always knew I wanted to do something in life, like, on a daily basis that I enjoy. Because I was like, I am not passionate about things I don't enjoy. I'm not confident about the things I don't enjoy. So could I, could, could you imagine me like having a job that I'm not passionate about and then I'm not confident about like, there's no way I'm going to be good at that. Even if I am good at it, like naturally, like I'm not going to, I'm not going to be good at it. And so I'm like, when you think about being passionate about something, when you think about having confidence in something, it just reminds me so much of just enjoying the moment. And the thing I love about enjoyment is, when you enjoy something, you're better at it, right? So you have this whole continuum. If I enjoy more, I'm going to see more success. I, I'm, I'm enjoying it more. I'm better at it. I'm going to see more success. And then when I see success, I'm enjoying it more. And it's just this like cyclical process, right? And so a question I ask all the time is what comes first? Do you, do you enjoy it and then you succeed? Or do you have to succeed first and then you start to enjoy it and then it goes? And you know, the argument is like probably both, right? You can enjoy it and, and find success or you can find success and then all of a sudden you enjoy it. And so then my follow-up question is that is, can you control enjoyment or can you control success more? And a lot of times, like you can't necessarily control if you win or lose or if you're successful or not, but you can always, always control if you're enjoying something, right? My, one of my most favorite quotes that I use all the time is enjoyment is a choice. Enjoyment is a choice, regardless of what's going on in your life, regardless of how bad something is, or if you just lost your job or whatever it is, you can still choose enjoyment on a daily basis, or you can choose to be completely miserable. And don't get me wrong, like have your misery moments, like have your pistol. I am not, I do not enjoy it all the time. 
is not fun all the time, but it gets to a point where, okay, I've been miserable for this long, or I've been pissed off for this long. And it's time to get over it because now the only person that I'm letting down is me. The only person this is affecting is me. Right. And, and I'm holding myself back. So I have to make this decision to enjoy whatever I'm doing. And, and so I love that just because it's, it's not only what you can control, but it's also like, you can choose to enjoy it regardless of the situation. You can choose to enjoy it. And are you, or are you letting whatever's happening, typically something outside of your control, steal your happiness and steal your enjoyment too? Because that's, that's the recipe for failure, right? Is, is letting things outside of your control dictate your enjoyment, which is typically dictating it in a bad way. So yeah, it's, that's deep, but that's real. That is deep. That that connection between <laughs> enjoyment and success is fascinating to me because I think about things that I don't enjoy. Like, um, you know, I, I, I've got friends, I've got family who work in finance. And on the surface, you know, if I were working in, in finance and banking, I'm like, that that's not fun to me. It would just be a boring desk job that I would go through the motions just to you know, make ends meet. But the people that I find in those fields of finance who are successful, they love it. I don't know why, but they love it. Oh, yeah, I did this deal investment. You know, that all goes over my head, but they love it. (laughs) And those are the most successful people. They're the ones making millions and millions of dollars Mm -hmm. because there's something about that, you know, Wall Street sort of environment that they just love. And that's why they're successful. And I don't know if until you said that, I've, really made that connection between how much you enjoy something and then how much success you have in it. Facts. No. And and, I mean, I think it goes hand in hand. I think it goes hand in hand. And I think I'm a firm believer that sometimes success comes first, but if you're enjoying it, chances are success is going to come faster. Some other topic that I want to kind of switch gears to and ask you about is the concept of listening. Because that is something that you pretty much spend all day doing. That's the most important part of your job is listening, right? If a you're if you're working with a player and you're not listening to him, anything <laughs> you say is just just pointless. Yeah. I read the other day that the human being is capable of saying 250 words a minute, but listening to 500 words per minute which means that oftentimes I might sit here and listen to you say your 250 words a minute, but because I can, I might fill in another 250 of, okay, what am I going to have for lunch? What do I have on my mm-hmm. schedule the rest of the day? Yada, yada, yada. And I can kind of do both at once, but, but I'd be half-assing it. Mm-hmm. For you, you've got to lock in and just listen to those 250 that the person is telling you. How do you listen? <laughs> I love this question. Um, well, first I want to start off by saying listening, like it hasn't always been the easiest journey for me because I, I love, I'm totally external. I love to talk. I love to give advice and I'll never forget, um, in grad school when I was in sports psychology classes and you take a couple like intro to counseling classes too, um, for the requirements to get your certification, your, um, CMPC certified mental performance coach. Um, and it was all about how to listen and basically shutting up. And I, it was like one of the hardest things I've ever had to do because when you're in a one-on-one conversation and you're listening to somebody and then there's that silence, right? You feel like you have to fill that void. And, and it's like, okay, you have to say something. But what I learned is 
when you're leading the conversation, the person sitting across from you is thinks it's even more awkward than you do. And so if you can stay silent, just like another five seconds, chances are they'll start talking more and they'll start telling you the things that you would have prompted that you would have asked for without asking. And so now all of a sudden, you know, I always say in a good mental skill session, I feel like I did nothing. They came in, they talked. I said a few things, guided the conversation, gave a little advice at the end, but supported them, listened to them, empathized with them, and then gave them something to actually tangibly go work on. And that was it. It's the sessions where they come in and they're dead quiet. And I'm like having to pry every word out of them that I feel exhausted about because it's like, I wasn't listening. I was doing most of the talking. And so the biggest piece of listening is shutting up, not feeling like you have to feel the dead, fill the dead air. Um, and also like, instead of thinking about, oh my God, what am I going to say next? And how am I going to fix this? If you listen, they will tell you what you need to say next. And so a piece of it is almost like trusting that if I listen and I'm fully here, like my brain is going to generate what I need to say and what I need to respond because I've trained for this. So it's almost, you know, we tell them to trust their training. It's like saying the same thing for me, like instead of trying to force something to happen or force like it to go this way, take a step back and let it naturally evolve. Let go of feeling like I had to guide the conversation. Now I'm guiding the conversation effortlessly. It takes less energy from me. I can be there. They feel that I'm there. And just because they feel that I'm sitting there listening with them, the conversation is a hundred times better. Because if you think about it, like think about one-on-one conversations you have and how often you're like actually genuinely being heard. Like you got phones buzzing, you got emails popping in, you got people checking their, their iWatch, right? It's like, holy shit. Like, are you even here? Like I get it. And, and the world is training us to do that. And so when you actually have that conversation with somebody, you sit down and you feel heard, you're just automatically empowered. And you're like, oh my God, they, this person cares about me. This person is actually here for me. And not just like to help me, you know, be the best I can on the field, but also like, just like genuinely gives a shit about me. And like, it's like weird because in the world, like, I don't know, you just don't feel that as much as we like, you just don't feel it as much. And so if I get to be that one person who they talk to, like on a weekly, monthly, daily basis, that is showing them that I care about them and I'm here for them and I'm supporting them. Like in a world that's constantly moving and evolving and there's constantly hundreds of players running around and coaches and it's a whirlwind, but right here, right now, we can be here. We can be now, like I can support you. Like, I don't think there's anything better. Regardless of the advice that I can give, um, I think the most powerful thing we can do as mental skills coaches is build that relationship, build that rapport, have them trust us and feel heard and listen to and empathize with them and then give them advice, right? But it's, I've always said person first, then a baseball player, um, because I think regardless of what world you're in, like sometimes you get viewed as, you know, just a podcaster or just a broadcaster or just a mental skills coach. And it's like, you're a person first, first and foremost, you're a person. And so let me give a shit about who you are as a person. And then I'll give a shit about who you are as a baseball player. So it's hard. Listening's hard, but once you do it and you master it, now you don't want to stop listening. Like you're literally like the best stuff comes from me shutting up and listening. And of course here I'm talking so much about listening, but you're doing a great job of listening by the way, Sam. Um, but yeah, I think listening is incredibly powerful. I thought I'd let the silence sit for a bit. <laughs> Take your advice. <laughs> oh, I love it. Um, I, I, well, I appreciate your kind words. You know, I, I had a, a guest on the podcast a few weeks ago who asked me, you know, if I had like a list of questions and 
I just texted back and I was like, not really. I mean, mm -hmm. I can like give you a little preview of the direction I might take, which is what you and I did for 30 seconds before, mm -hmm. but I don't come with a list of questions. I usually come with an opening question and some emergency questions in case the person <laughs> is giving me nothing and I really yeah. have to structure it. <laughs> yeah. But you just talk. And, and I've found that since I started doing that, because I used to have more of a list of questions mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and then you listen less mm -hmm. and I, and, and, and listening really is important. And when you think about listening, I never listen to someone better than listening to your answer about the listening <laughs> question. This is so meta right now, but, mm -hmm. but it really does go, go a long way. Um, the last thing I want to touch on Hannah, before I let you run on with the rest of your day is the concept of performance analysis and and staying neutral because that's something that's fascinating to me in popular culture i feel like sometimes we glorify positive self-talk let's say i'm a pitcher and i go out and i get absolutely shelled i give up seven runs in a half inning and and get pulled before i get out of the first maybe, you know, in a movie, I would go in the dugout and say, Sam, you're the best. You're the best. You're, you actually did really well. You can do this. You're a star. You're an all-star. That's self-talk, but it feels a little fake and unrealistic. What I'm fascinated in is the concept of staying neutral. What are your thoughts on those things that I just said? Yeah. So I love, I love, love, love talking about this because, and, and obviously this is like totally my opinion because there is positive psychology out there and, and, and which is super beneficial, obviously, like there's tons of studies done, but I would argue that the best chance you have at success is being real with an optimistic cherry on top. So that's how I describe it. So it's almost like objective optimism, right? It's, Okay, so if that happens, you get shelled, seven runs, get taken out of the first inning. First of all, we have to be real with ourselves and have that self-awareness, right? Every every foundational mental skill is based off of self-awareness. Instead of pretending like, oh, yeah, it's fine. I'll get him next time. Like, uh-uh, I would expect you to be pissed about this. I would expect you to come in and be like, what in the hell was that? Like, what happened? Like, and And so it's like being real about the situation and then – if there's anything positive that came out of it, it's also trying to find that. Um, and I understand that you may not be able to find that in the heat of the moment. And maybe this is a post-game evaluation thing where you really sit down. But it's it's like, instead of just, right, it, it comes back to self-evaluation. Instead of just noticing everything you did wrong or everything you did right, it's finding this balance. Okay, here's what happened. Realistically, like we're not dramatizing it, right? We're not making it out to be way worse than what it actually was because we have a tendency to do that. Like I'm the worst pitcher ever. I can't believe I did this. I suck. I should quit. What am I even doing? Right? No, uh, 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 uh. no, no, no. We had a bad inning. We had a bad half inning. We had a bad third of an inning, whatever it is. And here's why. And also in that inning, I actually did one of these two things well, but I just didn't have my stuff today. And so it's making sure you're not freaking making it way worse than it actually is or making it way better than it actually is or ignoring whatever it actually is and saying, okay, this happened. It was not my best showing. Here's what I'm taking out of it on a negative side. Here's what I'm taking out of it on a positive side. And also I can't wait to get back out there again to prove that I'm better than this. Right? Like, or, or I can't wait to go into the cage and work on this because I know I need this adjustment, right? It's almost like seeing something for what it really is 
and adding a little optimistic cherry. And, and again, I know in the heat of the moment, you're probably gonna, got nothing good to say and that's okay. I don't want, <laughs> I, I, I would do the same thing, but afterwards I would try to challenge you to find one good thing that came out of that. And maybe, maybe the thing that came out of it is that you experienced it now instead of at the end of the season or it didn't blow the game or your team did come back, you know, whatever it is, um, finding that, that tiny piece of optimism because once you see the situation is real, then you have a decision. You have a decision on, do you only see the negative or are you able to see some positive too? And I know that's incredibly hard for me. And I know it's incredibly hard for a lot of the players, but that's their choice. And it's going to affect how you decide to move forward. So I'm very adamant about seeing things as they really are. And then leaning a little on the side of optimism, but I'm not positive, Polly. You'll never hear me say, just go be positive. Just be freaking positive. No, like, no. And, and I know people do that and that's okay. And, and, but when you're too positive, when you're overly positive, you're not actually seeing what's actually happening and it could have a, a worse effect long-term. It could have a worse effect because then you're not making adjustments. You're not making the corrections you need. You're just continuing to go out there and hope that something works. And it's like, what are we doing? Right. And same with being constantly super negative, right? Nothing's ever good enough. We're not enjoying what we're doing. Then all of a sudden we're burnt out and we hate the game of baseball now, which happens too. And so it's like, where's that balance? We have, we have to be hard on ourselves, right? We have to have high expectations for ourselves, but we also have to be able to be our biggest fan too, which I think all of that kind of goes hand in hand, but it's tough, but you got to be real, which I think you're calling is neutral and I call it real. So I'm a hundred percent have to be, have to be that for sure. I love that concept of a cherry on top too, because I feel like all of our lives will be a little bit better if we just sprinkle in a few more cherries here and there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and we can relate that to so much in life. It's not just sports, right? I mean, look at the pandemic, right? Mm-hmm. It sucks. And if we yeah. see it as it is, it sucks. People yeah. are dying. People are sick. People are losing their jobs. Mm-hmm. It is a horrible thing. I'm seeing it, seeing it as it is. But what's a cherry on top? Oh, well, I got to spend more time with my family. Facts. That's a great cherry. Yeah. And it's a giant, it's more than a cherry. That's like a, uh, it's a cherry (laughs) with a little hot fudge. Some of that marshmallows. I love that marshmallow sauce, (laughs) but I think everyone's lives will be a little bit better with, with a few more cherries. So, so from Hannah Huseman, see it as it is, be real, but give yourself a cherry and maybe some of that really good marshmallow sauce. It's an (laughs) underrated sauce. I'm telling you, Hannah. Oh, I don't know about that, but I'll have to try it. I'll give it a whirl, maybe. (laughs) Awesome. Well, Hannah, thank you so much uh, for coming on the podcast. Folks, Hannah Huseman, make sure you check her out uh, on Twitter, on Instagram. Just search her. It's H-U-E-S-M-A-N. She does Mental Sweat Mondays, which are awesome on Instagram. And also, as I mentioned, is the mental skills coach for the Philadelphia Phillies organization. So, Hannah, thank you so much for your time. Hey, Sam. Thanks so much for having me. I had a blast. Of course. And hey, if we ever do it again, maybe uh, spice up the bookshelf organization. Maybe instead of rainbow, maybe we go like, I don't know. I don't know. Surprise me. Okay, we'll see. I'll see what I can come up with. But then I'm going to have to fix it back. So I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. I'll see what I can do. Cherry on top. (laughs) Sounds good. Take care, Hannah. All right. See you, Sam. Really insightful stuff from Hannah, and of course, I thank her for her time and her energy. It's something else to talk about listening, because if you're talking about listening, you aren't really listening, and 
of course, we gabbed at each other about how we were kind of meta listening to each other. I was listening to her talk about listening, you know, whatever you get lost in all that meta crap, but it is really important. Now I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a mental skills coach. I do this podcast to learn just like you're listening to this podcast to learn, but I still challenge you at some point today, maybe every day for the next week, just focus really, really hard on at least one conversation. Even if it's with your partner or your friend or your parent, just sit down with them and as they're talking about their day, even if you're not interested in it, just listen. Just really focus on every word they have to say. And I promise you'll be way more into that conversation because you're not thinking about what you're going to have for lunch. And you're not thinking about your busy work schedule for the day. Just focus on the conversation. Maybe we'll all enjoy life just a little bit more. So anyway, thanks for the time today, episode 12 of the Mental Game Podcast. I'll have lucky number 13 coming in hot next week. As always, I'm Sam Brief here in Chicago. As always, hope you stay safe, stay healthy. Adios. (music) 